0: Hello and welcome to Physical Attraction. This is going to be a fun, special, bonus-y episode to go with our thermodynamics series. Um, It's going to be split into two parts, one of which is free, and the next one of which you can pay for if you'd like to hear more on this story. Uh, I like to do these every now and again when there's a particularly fun tangential thing that comes up. And in the course of researching the laws of thermodynamics, I got caught up in so many different free energy conspiracy theories. So I looked into some of them, and I found a whole bunch of really entertaining stories. So, here we go. There is no such thing as free energy. If there is one argument for scientific literacy being such an important topic, it's the fact that in the modern world, people still fall for free energy scams and perpetual motion machines, despite the laws of thermodynamics, which have been verified time and time again by experiment, being very, very clear on this point. It's perfectly true that we don't yet understand everything about physics, but I would just like to point out a couple of super obvious facts. If it were possible to obtain huge amounts of free or clean energy without going through some super complicated process, it's quite likely we would have found out by now. If anyone has a working device that they can demonstrate under reasonable test conditions and that can be reproduced, they really don't need your investment. They're about to become insanely rich, and would likely seek real money from high-tech venture capitalists. So please, 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 please do not fall for this scam. A lot of people talk about how scientists should have an open mind. And it's true, you know, we all should. But there comes a point, perhaps the 50th time, when someone claims to have constructed a wheel that will spin forever, you're allowed to show a little bit of exasperation. There should be a fourth law of thermodynamics tacked onto the other three. No, you really, 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 really can't win. Please be sceptical of any claims that you can. And you see all of these conspiracy theorists, they always say this is evidence of scientific dogma. Well, this scientific dogma is evidence-based dogma, because there have been hundreds, if not thousands, of claims of devices that do just this, and guess what? None of them has ever been substantiated, because it contradicts everything we know about physics and every experiment that has ever been conducted. With that in mind, while I was researching the thermodynamics episodes, I came across a whole bunch of really entertaining stories about people who have claimed to have a perpetual motion or free energy, which kind of amount to the same thing, because as you probably remember from the thermodynamics episodes, perpetual motion means there's no losses, which is close to a free source of energy, because everything has losses. You guys should know by now that I really can't resist a lurid tangent. I have so many lurid tangents in this show, I should open up a lurid tangent shop. So for your listening pleasure, here are some tales from the annals of free energy. Some are crackpots, some are genuine but mistaken scientists, and some are out and out hoaxers. Enjoy. In 1812, a travelling inventor called Charles Redheffer appeared in Philadelphia. He claimed to have developed a special generator that could power other machines. He showed curious onlookers for a fee of $1, his machine, which he claimed was powering another connected machine. By the way, some sources report that he charged men $5 and women $1, or even allowed women in for free. So maybe today's physics space chat-up line should be, Hey baby, do you want to see my perpetual motion machine? There's no way that should be misinterpreted. By the way, I think any claims of perpetual motion in the bedroom should be met with exactly the same amount of scepticism as claims of free energy in the lab. You've got to generate heat somewhere. Anyway, back to dodgy Redheffer's dodgy schemes. Supposedly, the two machines that were linked together allowed one to power the other. I mean, I love this as a scheme. It's practically like saying, look, if you ignore the power cord and the massive energy infrastructure behind it, the lamp lights itself. The engineers noticed that the gears were worn the wrong way around if this perpetual motion machine were truly driving the other one. Turns out you could get this effect if your machine contained a little clockwork motor. So they tried to expose his scheme by hiring an engineer called Isaiah Lukens to build a similar machine, which they used uh, a hidden clockwork motor in as a power source. And this is where it gets brilliant, because Red Heifer, showing an amazing amount of gullibility for a scammer, apparently believed that the machine was real and offered to buy the device. Seriously, they build a machine to trick this guy into thinking that it's real. The guy was supposedly like, wow, I only claimed to have perpetual motion, but these guys actually managed it. I'm rich, richer than astronauts. Dadoi. So after the good people of Philadelphia got sick of him, Charles Redheffer set up shop in New York City with another almost identical device. Robert Fulton exposed Red Heifer's fraud when the device was exhibited at a special display in New York. He thought he heard mechanical motion, and ripped away some floorboards to reveal a hidden wire made of catgut. On closer examination, it was revealed that the true source of the power was, quote, "...a poor old wretch with an immense beard who appeared to have suffered long imprisonment," according to Fulton's biographer. Literally, there was some old guy turning a handle to power the machine... (laughs) As crackpot perpetual motion machines go, locking up an old man to turn a crank for you is spectacularly unsophisticated. Charles Redheffer, the Scooby Doo villain of perpetual motion, four years later, as late as 1820, was getting patents for a device to produce power. But unfortunately, the patent was lost in the great US Patent Office fire of 1826. I know it sounds like I'm making that up, but there was a great US Patent Office fire of 1826, and patent historians constantly lament it, so we can't laugh at his rubbish patent. I'm going to guess that his major innovation in those four years was probably using two imprisoned old men instead of one. Twice as efficient! He disappears from the historical record at this point. If there's justice in history, and sadly the evidence doesn't stack up in favour of that hypothesis, He's stuck somewhere, turning the crank on someone else's machine. Now, the internet absolutely loves Nikola Tesla. You know, the eccentric, brilliant scientist who did all of the research and inventing that was clearly so much better than Edison, but lost out to Edison in terms of actually making profit. So you've probably heard the stories about, for example, the electrical current wars. Thomas Edison supported DC current, while Tesla supported AC current. Edison probably didn't electrocute an elephant just to prove his point. There's this long-standing historical story-slash-urban legend that Edison, determined to prove that DC Current was better than AC, electrocuted an elephant with AC Current to say, look how dangerous it is, it can kill an elephant. Although it is true that Topsy the Elephant was electrocuted by AC Current, by Edison engineers. But this happened years after the Format War had been settled, and Edison didn't personally attend. Anyway, Tesla, who was honoured by giving his name to the SI unit of magnetic flux density, has taken on this mythical status in popular culture. Part of this is down to his eccentricity. He left behind all kinds of papers, crazed schemes and inventions, and it was always very difficult to figure out which of them was real and which of them wasn't. Among them, an idea to improve human brain capacity using electricity. In 1912, he crafted a plan to make dull students bright by saturating them unconsciously with electricity, wiring the walls of a schoolroom, and, quote, saturating the schoolroom with infinitesimal electric waves vibrating at high frequency. According to Tesla, this would, um, make them smarter? Not really clear on how this was supposed to work. Maybe he took the phrase bright spark too literally. And towards the end of his life, he hosted these rather crazed birthday party press conferences. Because, you know, what really improves a birthday party is a good old press conference where you announce your latest crackpot invention. So at the 1932 occasion, Nikola Tesla claimed that he'd invented a motor that would run on cosmic rays. Of course, people will tell you that the cosmic ray flux is nowhere near good enough to do that. Even the most energetic cosmic ray that disperses in the upper atmosphere is basically not enough energy to power a motor, it's about a joule, and the flux of them overall is very low, those high energy rates. In 1933, at age 77, Tesla told reporters that after 35 years of work, he was on the verge of producing proof of a new form of energy. He claimed it was a theory of energy that was violently opposed to Einsteinian physics, and could be tapped with an apparatus that would be cheap to run, and last 500 years. He also told reporters that he was working on a way to transmit individualised private radio wavelengths, working on breakthroughs in metallurgy, and developing a way to photograph the retina to recall thought. At the 1934 party, Tesla told reporters he had designed a superweapon he claimed would end all war. He would call it teleforce, but it was usually referred to as his death ray, Tesla described it as a defensive weapon that would be put up along a border of a country to be used against attacking ground-based infantry or aircraft. So here we are, this crazy old man who is basically responsible for the stereotype of a physicist as a crazy old man. So is what I'm saying that Tesla was a total crackpot and risking the wrath of the internet? Well, sort of. He was clearly extremely eccentric. But at the same time, it's obvious that when Tesla lived people were still getting over how incredibly useful electricity was. And indeed, in many ways, we're still kind of getting over how incredibly useful electricity is, right? And people did really think that it was a panacea, while the applications were still being explored. People wanted to use electricity on everything, kind of like the hype around AI today, but only magnified by a factor of a hundred. So the fact that Tesla had a scheme to make kids smarter by wiring the rooms of the classroom and pumping their brains full of electromagnetic waves... She'd probably tell you that he, too, was convinced and evangelical about the possibilities of electromagnetism to solve the world's problems. For example, one of the things that he was working on is the famous flying saucers. So, yes, magnetic levitation absolutely is a thing, and you can do it, and people are still working on and building trains that operate via magnetic levitation. I've been on one. But is it practical to lift a flying saucer many feet off the ground and use this as a means of transportation? It turns out, no, certainly not with current technology. It seems to me like Tesla got a little bit carried away. And he should have known better than to have claimed to have a new or free form of energy. Now, Tesla did discover, alongside several others, the fact that you can harness ambient electromagnetic radiation as a source of energy. So there is electromagnetic radiation in the world around us. The energy density of it is quite low. And the problem here is one of energy density. So, you can get a few millivolts from it, and this is how certain types of crystal radio work, for example. And Nokia even once considered using it to charge phones, although they later decided that it was uncommercial. But to get anything substantial, you need a really huge generator. And, you know, why bother harnessing little dribs and drabs of ambient radio waves and electromagnetic waves that come off objects here on Earth, when there's a huge source of very intense electromagnetic radiation in the sky... They call it, um, ah yes, the sun. So especially these claims that he made at the end of his life, that he was close to a breakthrough in terms of producing a new form of energy. These have really inspired hoaxsters, fraudsters, and other various miscreants. Again, I would just say, it's been a century since Tesla died. I know he was very smart, and probably ahead of his time in a lot of ways. But to think that you'd be a century ahead of everyone else, and that no one would get anywhere close to what you were claiming in the next hundred years, it, it credibility a little bit. And of course, all of the people who now claim to have access to this technology that Tesla never finished, it's ridiculous. But of course, it's a perfect storm, really. Everyone recognises that Tesla was a genius who was often battling against scientific convention. He's considered misunderstood, and he made these wild claims about his own research in the classic birthday party press conference. So if you're a conspiracy theorist, he really is the perfect guy to prop up as your hero. But in most of these cases, you can imagine that these people have little idea about the real significance of Tesla's work. They just want to borrow some of his scientific credibility to hawk their ludicrous schemes. It'd be like me nee trying to get published by claiming to have found a lost Shakespeare manuscript. As you can tell in a lot of ways that these people are fraudsters, the people who claim to have Tesla's technology. One such fraudster was a guy who clearly understood the zeitgeist. In the 1950s, people were obsessed with flying saucers. Saucers? You mean the kind from up there? As they would say in the brilliant Ed Wood film Plan 9 from Outer Space. For some reason, with a few big abduction stories and so on, there was a real thread of belief that flying saucers had visited Earth, and that the military was keeping the technology a secret from the rest of the population. This is a thread that you find throughout these conspiracy theories. I read an amazing one the other day that managed to somehow marry this idea that Tesla found free energy and the government repressed it for um reasons with another great conspiracy theory, which is that of 9-11 truths. And their argument was that, you know, you probably heard the classic 9-11 truth conspiracy theories that say the impact of the planes on the Twin Towers wasn't sufficient to bring down the buildings and something else must have been going on like a controlled demolition. Well, this particular conspiracy theorist believes that not only was there a controlled demolition, but no natural demolition could do it, and in fact it's evidence that they deployed Tesla's free energy source to create a sort of free energy bomb that brought down the Twin Towers. And in some ways you have to admire the lunacy of combining these two conspiracy theories in such an out-there way. I mean, it's like... The Lizard People and the Illuminati and the New World Order and the Bilderberg Group were probably all behind it. That sounds about right. But anyway, in the 1950s, with the flying saucer craze and all these abduction stories coming to light, people did believe that flying saucers had visited Earth. A big fraction of people believed it. Enter Otis T. Carr. Otis Carr claimed to have a spaceship that could travel to the moon and return in less than a day. It was powered by the revolutionary Ultron Electric Accumulator, which would be activated upon entering outer space, which would fuel the return journey. And he managed to fool many into parting with large sums of investment for his flying saucer schemes, with one witness saying, For all most people know, he might well be a great scientist. After all, he's completely unintelligible, isn't he? Carr and his apprentice Colton secured hundreds of thousands of dollars from wealthy investors and contactee-oriented saucer fans. Perhaps he was so successful in his scheme because he knew how to pick a good, gullible mark. If these people already believed in flying saucers and alien abductions despite the lack of credible proof, perhaps they'd also believe that he'd managed to build one. One of the more colourful investors was Warren Goetz, who claimed to be an actual space person. Warren wasn't born, you see. Instead, he materialised in his mother's arms as a spaceship hovered overhead. Another associate, Margaret Storm, wrote a secret, unauthorised biography of Tesla, who turns out to have been a Venusian, apparently, according to Margaret. So, everyone, this is very important. We're not saying that Tesla was a Martian. That's an absolutely ridiculous claim. But there is incontrovertible evidence that he did, in fact, come from Venus. So early demonstrations showed nothing more than a device that could produce a low hum, which I can also do, but Carr, apparently convinced by his own invention, went for a large public demonstration in 1959. Early demonstrations showed nothing more than a device that could produce a low hum, but Carr, apparently convinced by his own invention, went for a large public demonstration in 1959. This is a really common thread with these lunatic inventors. What they usually do is set some date for a huge public display of the technology. Then, when they're trying to get people to invest in it, they can say, Look, of course this is real. I called a big meeting and invited a whole bunch of people. My reputation is at stake. I don't want to spoil the surprise by demonstrating it too early. I just need a little money to get it off the ground. Literally, in the case of Otis Carr's flying saucers. And if you believe that, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. But of course, this big public demonstration to prove my credibility thing, it does kind of fall apart when your technology doesn't work at all. And sure enough, at the last moment, he claimed to be feeling unwell and skipped town. The excited crowd that had gathered to see his saucer fly was shown only a small wooden model of his, quote, ideas. Imagine how you'd feel if you'd signed your savings over to him. In 1961... Carr was fined for securities fraud and spent some time in prison before retiring to obscurity in Pittsburgh, likely still with a good deal of the profit he'd made from the gullible investors. One of the things that I found absolutely astounding while I've been researching some of these scammers is just how difficult it is to find unbiased research about them. When you look up specific individuals, especially like Otis Carr, More often than not, there are still websites out there that are trying to claim that these people were genuinely onto something, decades after they were obviously exposed as fraudsters. Okay, so maybe I shouldn't be so shocked, shocked, I tell you, that the idea that the internet is full of conspiracy theory websites. And naturally, they're all trying to sell you something or other. But it never ceases to amaze me that in the 21st century people are still trying to resolve the mystery of Otis Carr. It's not exactly a mystery, is it? Here's a quote from the man himself. Otis Carr. Escaping from the immediate gravity pull of the Earth plus the heavy atmosphere of the Earth enables us, just as our satellites are doing now, to join a universal free energy system. They have a velocity now of 18,000 miles per hour more or less, without any expenditure of energy whatsoever. Now, any energy attached to this would immediately throw them into a higher velocity orbit, which would expand them further into space. This is extremely easy to do. We feel that our craft will gradually escape and possibly escape the atmosphere of the Earth, and then we can handle velocities almost unimaginable in reaching other gravity systems. So, describing this as free energy shows a lack of basic scientific literacy. You can do the calculations that he's talking about to a high degree of accuracy with Newton's laws. It's just a consequence of there not being many materials for air resistance and friction in space. Yet I quoted this source from a web page that is insisting that Otis Carr's research is real, that the government not only knows how to build flying saucers, but has also colonised other worlds, and that NASA is a hoax designed to keep us in the dark about how advanced our space programme really is. It's downright depressing, and a shame that so many people who evidently recognise and understand that we're in an energy crisis, and that space travel is exciting, it's a shame they aren't using their intelligence and time more productively than chasing after a decades-old scam. I have a lot more sympathy for the perpetual motion pursuers from long ago. As we mentioned in the episode on thermodynamics, it wasn't always understood that conservation of energy was such a fundamental law of nature. After all, there seemed to be all kinds of things that, to a naive point of view, violated this rule. Magnets, for example, seemed to move when you brought them close together, without being externally forced. There was obviously something weird going on with gravity. And the second law, you can't break even, entropy always increasing, this is even less obvious. For example, take a spinning wheel. It was clear to the ancients that if you designed a better wheel, it would spin for longer once you set it in motion. So they played this dangerous extrapolation game. Surely, if you designed the perfect wheel, it could spin forever. We now call this perpetual motion machines of the second kind. So the first kind give you free energy, and the second kind just never slow down. And I see some people say in various places, most recently in the YouTube comments section for yet another claimed perpetual motion machine that, like all the rest of them, doesn't work that a perpetual motion machine of the second kind is useless, since you can't get free energy out of it. But that's not strictly true. If you could build a wheel and set it spinning, and it spun forever, it would be a perfect store of energy. And that's not something we currently have, there are no perfect stores of energy. It would be incredibly useful for us if you could make this. Energy storage is a huge problem, especially given the current restrictions on the availability of some renewable energy sources. So if we could find something that could perfectly store energy for all time, such as a perpetual motion machine, it would be very useful and better than many of the systems that we currently have. Indeed, to store energy, some people still use big spinning flywheels. It's just a wheel, you know, you set it spinning and it keeps spinning because it conserves its angular momentum. The only problem is that even if you do your best to make them as frictionless as possible, They'll still spin down over time, as air resistance, friction and so on robs you of your rotational kinetic energy. But flywheels can be very effective for shorter term energy storage. A classic example is some of those new systems you can get in cars, maybe you've seen them advertised. You know the ones that convert some of your braking energy into charging the battery, or save it? Usually what they do is they use it to spin up a flywheel, and then the energy is extracted later. If the flywheel has mechanical bearings that actually touch each other, they usually lose around 20% of their energy in a couple of hours. But with magnetic bearings that involve less friction, you can reduce that to only 5% of energy a day. So you can already see that flywheels might be useful under certain circumstances. Let's say you had an electricity grid powered by a lot of solar and wind. During the day, the solar wheel powers everything and accelerates the flywheels until they're losing a lot of energy. Then at night, energy is extracted from the flywheels to power other things. Of course this involves losses, but since you waited less than a day, you won't lose too much due to the flywheel spinning down. Most of it will be in the conversion, but since we generate electricity by rotating things essentially, that conversion rate will be pretty good. And indeed in some places, the grid already uses these as a storage system. When excess power is generated, they automatically spin up, and when it's needed, they extract energy from the wheels. So they're also really useful if you need to produce a sudden surge of power for a very short amount of time, without worrying too much about the grid. So for example, there is a jet, the Joint European Taurus Experimental Fusion Reactor in Cullum, in Oxfordshire. Now that needs to operate only a few times a year, but it needs to operate incredibly powerful electromagnets to contain the plasma, but only for a few seconds or minutes at most, since they're just doing experimental runs. If you suddenly made demands for all that energy from the local grid, it might cause power blackouts, and the students of Oxford will not be very happy with that. So what they do is, before the experiment, they charge up a big array of flywheels in the hours before the experiment, and then the flywheels deliver most of that kick of power that the fusion reactor needs. That way they don't have to suddenly demand a whole load of stuff and crash the grid. So the point of all this is, one, a perfect rotating wheel that never lost any energy, would be incredibly useful. Two, people have been working on wheels for literally thousands of years, and in the modern era we're still making improvements to their efficiency and their capacity as energy storers. And surprise, surprise, no one has managed to make a perfect one yet. But I have a lot of sympathy for the ancient figures who tried this trick, like Bhaskara II of India. He should probably get a pass compared to some of the other figures on this list. He invented his wheel in 1150, hundreds of years before we understood the laws of thermodynamics. The concept behind the machine is similar to a lot of perpetual motion machines you'll see today. It's a wheel of spokes partially filled with mercury. As the wheel spins, the mercury tilts into different parts of the wheel, driving its rotation onwards. The gravitational force of the mercury sloshing into different bottles acts to pull the wheel around, so once set in motion, it continues rotating. This kind of system is called an overbalanced wheel, and as I mentioned, it's still used by a lot of perpetual motion advocates today. The wheel essentially converts between rotational kinetic energy, as the bottles rotate, and gravitational potential energy, as the bottles are lifted up into the sky. While such a design can carry on running for a very long time if friction is kept low, and even cheap versions of it can run for hours, it's not generating energy, and such flywheels are less efficient at storing energy than other technologies. Eventually, friction will cause the rotation to decay. Bhaskara may have constructed an impressive wheel, and thought that if he polished it enough, he would attain perpetual motion. But if this method was possible, we probably would have worked it out in the intervening 850 years. It amazes me that you can still find people on YouTube with similar designs claiming they figured out perpetual motion, and you can still find people in the comments saying, I'm very keen to learn more about your device. Please contact me on this number. Of course, some energy scams don't even use all that much pseudoscience in their definitions at all. Take the infamous case of Hong Cheng magic liquid. In 1983, a most incredible scam was perpetrated in China by a bus driver with no formal scientific training called Wang Hongcheng. This is one of those where I just have to admire the audacity of the guy. You can't even hate him. He claimed to have invented a miraculous liquid that could turn ordinary water into fuel as flammable as petrol, simply by sprinkling a few drops of the magic liquid into the water. Amazingly, despite producing little explanation as to how this was supposed to work, Wang was able to convince the Chinese military and government to fund his research for a brief period of time in the 1980s. He must have had a convincing practical demonstration or magic trick. Maybe he had a vat of water and a vat of flammable liquid like ethanol that looks kind of similar, or something like that. By 1992-3, Wang was riding high. His magic liquid had led to a company that had received over $34 million in investments, despite never selling a working product to anyone. He had probably benefited from the low state of science literacy in China at the time, as his claims contradict all known laws of physics and chemistry. Eventually, the Chinese government, deciding that the situation had finally gone far enough, published articles debunking Wang in national newspapers. After refusing to demonstrate his invention for scientific appraisal, he was arrested and charged with fraud, and spent 10 years in prison in 1998. Little is known of his current whereabouts, but one thing is certain. He does not possess a magic liquid that can turn water into gasoline. Since reading about Wang Hongcheng, I've been questioning my own life decisions. Why work hard at scripting this show and studying when I'm clearly missing where the big books are? All I need to do is find a large population of people who don't know about science, make a whole bunch of crazy claims about what I can achieve, mention a few famous scientists, and convince them to give me their money. I even know the jargon, you know. Maybe my machine uses the intrinsic zero-point energy of quantum oogly-boogly, or the unexplained, spooky, action-at-a-distance repulsive power of chat-up lines. Either way, it's free energy, but I still need your money, Capiche. Even though I have this limitless supply of free energy, I just need a little bit of money to get it off the ground. But something like this would never happen in the modern world, right? People would never be taken in by such an obvious con man. Okay, satire aside... Yes, this absolutely still happens in the modern world, and people still make incredible amounts of money. I know that the tech world still has potential for fraud and manipulation. There are legitimate reasons why you'd want to keep your technology a secret, so that others don't imitate it before you're ready for market, so you continue working on the revolutionary breakthroughs that just need a few more tweaks. That kind of thing. But there are some people who keep their technology shadily secret because it doesn't work. Because it's a free energy scam. And in the next episode, which in my get-rich-quick scheme you'll be able to purchase through the website, I will talk about all of these modern free energy scams that are around at the moment. I'll talk about Storm Limited, I'll talk about Andrea Rossi and Cold Fusion, the ECAT, the Orbo Power Cube. There's some truly amazing stories out there. Um, Lots of grifters and people of that sort. And if you want to download that episode, you can go to Patreon. You'll be able to find it there, hopefully at the same time as I release this episode or you can go via our website, and you can go to PayPal. If you donate $3 via the PayPal link, I will send you a copy of the episode. Please leave an email so I can send you the episode. And yeah, I hope you'll enjoy it, because it's all about modern scams. So (laughs) if nothing else, if you're looking at investment opportunities for free energy, maybe I can help you out. Until next time, then, I hope you enjoyed this fun little diversion, and I hope that you see me in a few minutes at the bonus episode. Take care, and don't invest in any free energy scams, please. That's all for today, but if you want more, visit the website www.physicspodcast.com where there'll be instructions on how to get the bonus episode. I'll see you soon.